The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them, because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Today's guest, Stephanie Dua, is an education entrepreneur and co-founder and president of Homer Learning. She has spent 20 years in the trenches of public education. She served as the CEO of the New York City Department of Education's Fund for Public Schools, raising more than $165 million private dollars to support literacy and teacher training efforts in the country's largest school district. As a management consultant at the Robin Hood Foundation, she's helped to build 50 award-winning new school libraries across the city, and as a senior advisor to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Carnegie Corporation of New York, Stephanie has collaborated with school leaders across the country. And as my guest today, I'm hoping that Stephanie can explain to me how in God's name my kids will recover after having been taught by me and me alone for the last year. Welcome, Stephanie. I'm so happy to talk to you today. Likewise, it's great to be here, and I and I love I love how you frame that. So should uh, should we dig in? It's gonna the kids are gonna be okay. Your kids are gonna be just fine. I was so excited when I was reading through your information because I was like, this is a learned woman. This is someone who's gonna be able to, you know, not only obviously uh, with your work as an education expert, but honestly also as a mom who's gone through it. Like this is so unprecedented, and it's scary to try to to manage right now. So I'm really excited to hear your input. I can't promise that this won't be a therapy session today, but I <laughs> but I think that it'll be enjoyable nonetheless. So how are you doing? Where am I finding you? You have a very beautiful and colorful background. You are finding me in Coconut Grove. So we were in Ooh. Brooklyn for 20 years, three kids, mm-hmm. three daughters. And one day I told my husband, I have an idea, we're gonna move to Miami. We didn't know anyone in Miami, no connection to Miami. This is pre-COVID, but just looking for kind of a different life experience for the kids. I wanted them to, you know, walk barefoot and ride their bikes around. And so we just picked up and moved one summer two years ago. Okay. So where did this come to you in a dream? or where It did, did at 4 a.m. And the only other time really? I've done that to my poor husband was when I was pregnant with my first daughter. I woke him up at four and I said, I have really big news for you. We're pregnant. And he said, go back to sleep and talk to me at seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of the same thing with Miami. Okay. But so you, obviously you were a tried and true New Yorker. You were heavily immersed mm-hmm. in the New York school system. Was this a departure in terms of your career as well? Or were you just like, let's let's change gears? Let's go let's to Miami. Let's just change gears. So, I mean, it was on a number of different levels, Sarah. One is, I believe that these kind of definitive experiences, these new adventures are great for families. So I knew that this was going to be a time where we were going to bond. It was going to be hard. We didn't know anyone. My girls didn't know anyone. And, you know, it was going to be a time that we all experienced something together. And so I really wanted to kind of take that adventure with them before they left. You know, when I started Homer, my oldest was five. And now this year she's applying to college. So it's just, it's crazy to think about how quickly it goes. And I've 
always had an intense job while I had raised my babies. And so I just, at this moment, I just listened to myself and I, I felt like I needed, while I am super passionate about what I do, I needed, I needed a little bit of a different environment, you know, I needed to kind of get off that intensity level um, that the city had for us and my family at that time. What, what was the timing of this in relation to COVID? So we moved in the summer before COVID. So we were there for six months and then, well, nine months right. and then COVID hit. So my kids were all at a new school and then, you know, four months into the new school, everyone went home. <laughs> so they didn't know anybody, but, you know, it was, you know, we've, I've talked to so many moms, you know, and there's been you know, COVID has been a shock for all of us in, in different ways, right? So I think some moms who are working and now at home are thinking, well, one, how do I possibly work and have small children, you know, and help them with school? And there's a new appreciation for teachers. You know, I think many parents didn't actually Big know time. how challenging it is for a teacher to educate small children or or teens even. And the second thing that we've heard from moms is that they're just reprioritizing things. So some moms that had long commutes are saying, look, that's not, that's not going to be me in the future. I'm going to find something else that brings me a little closer to home. The other big trend that we've been hearing from moms is that many of them felt like they had overscheduled their children. You know, they had music classes and dance classes and whatever other enrichment activities that they had. And many of them said, like, I was going crazy as a parent. You know, I, I felt like I was just driving from one place to the next. And I realized, who am I doing this for? You know, am I doing this for me or for my child? And maybe it's too much, you know, so there's a bit of, I think we're seeing a shift I like to call it the kind of Marie Kondo of parenting, you know, which is like, how do we evaluate all of the things that we've taken on as a parent because we wanted to, or we felt we had to, and what are the things that now we really find meaning in and how do we kind of reprioritize some of that with our families? Right. I think so much of us instinctively try to either work against some of the ways that we were raised ourselves that we felt hindered us in any way, or that seemed to be at a disadvantage or something that we felt like had our parents honed in on would have given us that edge, right? And then to your point, I think there's so many really high functioning parents who are so really with the best intentions, like desperate to try to help their kids. And why I'm so excited to talk to you too, is because first of all, I'm sure you hear like the gamut of parents, you know, who really like, despite having those great intentions, probably like you said, over schedule and try to like almost live vicariously through their kids and to steer them in the right way. But who knows if they suffocate them? Yeah. Look, I know there's a million books, but there's no real guidebook. Like there's yeah. no definitive, like this is the right way to do it. Right. There's like a thousand parenting experts who have problems with their own kids, you know, completely. Like, yes. Everything is unique to its own okay. situation, but Beginning at the beginning, how has your headspace been? So now you've been like, you've moved to a whole new place. Yeah. You didn't really have a community yet. And then you got stuck in a global pandemic, although you are in Florida, which, yes. you know, feels like it's like, has its own rules. Yeah. So yes. I bet you're so happy to have moved so out of happy. Brooklyn now. I mean, I loved Brooklyn. It's the place my babies were born and raised. And, you know, we lived on this beautiful 
you know, landmark little street in Brooklyn. And it was just so, so perfect for that time of our life. But, you know, I grew up actually on a small, tiny almond farm in Central California. My dad was a walnut and almond farmer. So I grew up with cows and chickens and sheep and pigs and like no real aspiration for my life. Like I was going to go to the local junior college in my community and then get a job somewhere and then probably stay close to home and have kids and a family. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that was sort of my own upbringing. And there were a lot of benefits to that. It was, it, you know, it was very beautiful. And we took a ton of risks as kids, you know, because we were largely, you know, my parents were autonomous, probably we were like completely autonomous. Yeah, no mm-hmm. one paid attention to you. Plus you if you if you were amongst the goats and the chickens and the almonds, yeah. it doesn't sound like it's as skeevy as like walking right. around in Manhattan right. on your own. Yes, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. Although yeah. Did you think you would go into almonding or no, I agriculture? Just, 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 or? You know, one of the phenomenons of kids and, and parenting and life choices is that you only know what is in your orbit. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea that I could do something different, I had no visibility into that. Right. So, right. The whole you can't be what you can't see. Exactly. Yeah. So, it wasn't until I moved to Southern California, I was in community college, and then I ended up transferring to UCLA and studied space physics. And then from there, I ended up going to the East Coast for, for grad school. And all of these times, these different worlds opened up. And, you know, the first time I set foot in Cambridge, I didn't own a coat, you know. And so I was like, I should probably get a coat, you know. And then the first time I landed in Miami from New York, I was like, I don't have any clothes that fit me. I mean, like I'm all right. sweaters and jeans and boots, you know. I need to kind of, you know, adapt to this new new environment. Right. Except, okay, going back to school, because I read a little bit about you had worked through high school to earn money for college, right? You started at a community college and you transferred to UCLA where you were told that there was no chance that as a transfer or as a woman, you could ever be valedictorian, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So not only were you able to do so, which is like a big middle finger to everybody. But take me from how you get from the, you know, autonomous upbringing and the rural kind of dreamland to studying space physics. You know, again, it's like these roads are kind of, I read somewhere that like the biggest life choices you spend no time on and you spend so much time on life choices that are like, small and meaningless. Right. Like, <laughs> like, ben, like venti or grande, you exactly, know, it'll like stump me exactly, forever. Exactly. What kind of stroller do I want? My husband must have spent four hours doing research on the different strollers. Right. And you know, like you pick a college and a major, you're like, that sounds good. You're also to be fair, 17, 18, exactly. you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, what does it even mean? So I think, look, I landed in that because someone believed in me. And I think this is the story of so many people. But I had a, a teacher when I was in community college who said, you're really great at math. I think you should apply to UCLA into something in math and, you know, and use that skill. And so I start, you know, I had grown up in the country and Yosemite was in our back backyard. And so I thought, well, you know, this whole geology, geophysics, space physics sounds kind of cool you know, don't know anything really about it, but I think I'll try that. And so it was really just like, I like being outdoors. I like math. And this sounds really interesting. I had no idea if there were jobs, prospects, anything to do with anything with this career. You know, I really didn't overthink it. But again, I just, I firmly believe that these kind of 
these pathways open up to us in this kind of, in these really unique ways when we're ready to hear them. And, you know, at that moment I was ready for change and I wanted something different. I wanted to stretch myself and I was young, you know, it was an incredible experience to work. We had a relationship with Caltech and then ultimately with NASA Ames research. And so it just was this, and don't ask me any questions about space or geology because I swear well, I will yeah. not remember any of them. <laughs> I was going to ask, is that on your bucket list at all? Or is that something that you have interest in? is in yeah, going to space. Yeah, my bucket list is, I mean, my husband wants to go to space, but my bucket list, but I'm afraid of flying. So I feel like the two don't work together so well. Yeah. I feel like that's also definitely a turbulent flight, it, right? It, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's, you so, know, if you're, if you're a fearful flyer, like shooting into the into atmosphere space. is probably. Yeah. No, not it's not, not high on my list. So no. So I love hiking though. So that is definitely on my bucket list. And I've definitely take the kids, you know, I said to my husband for the holidays each year for my birthday, I just, I don't want a gift. I just want to go on some incredible hike in some incredible place each year and just have that be part of our memory bank. So this coming spring, we're going to go to Patagonia, all things considered. Amazing. Yeah provided it's open. Well, that's that's incredible though because it's ascension both literally and figuratively exactly. throughout your life, going to all these different places. I love what I read that I think was really impactful for you. It said that your mom had shared the adage for you to own your own life and choices. Yeah. Did your mom work or was that something that she was telling you? Yeah. I mean, look, I think it was a, she had a complicated life. She was not, she didn't go to college and so she had limitations in what she could do. So she ended up working multiple jobs really to kind of cobble everything together. But, you know, I think her point for me was don't really depend or rely on somebody else. You know, her view was mm -hmm. sort of be your own person, make your own choices and always hold that independence. For me, that is something I've always held to, which is sort of not wanting to, you have to trust yourself and you have to really kind of trust and build that resilience in yourself that no matter what comes to you, you have enough confidence that you can handle it. Right. So tell me, how did you transition then out of school and then moving into education in New York from UCLA? Yeah, I had always been passionate about education, Sarah, in part because it was so hard for me to figure out, you know, I didn't know I didn't really have anyone who could help me figure out what college to go to or what courses to take or what jobs, you know, it was it was all something I, I was a Pell Grant kid. I had to just kind of make my own way. And so I always felt, you know, in my heart that that's got to be an easier way for people, you know, to figure this out. And one of the things is when you have an adequate but not stellar elementary experience, it makes you less confident in high school. When high school is not as strong, it makes you less confident in college. And it just has this kind of this sort of knock on uh, effect. Yeah, exactly. And so I felt like maybe I could have this huge impact for moms, knowing how important education is. And when you dig into all the research, Annie Casey has a lot of great research, but it's terrifying. But a parent is the most important teacher for a child. So there, we've got a little bit of a the wrong mindset because no one's explained it to us in the way that you described at the opening, which is we don't really have a playbook, you know, as a parent mm -hmm. for these things. But it does turn out a parent is literally the most important teacher. And in particular, a mom is one of the most important teachers in a child's life. Now, that doesn't mean you need to teach them everything. But 
it does mean that they're going to be looking at you and they're modeling what you're doing and saying. And, you know, and and those early years, their brain is forming in such incredible ways. 85% of the brain is developing in those, those first five years. So it's an incredible opportunity for parents to do something with their kids that is um, a positive experience. So my thought was, can I help parents? You know, simply my oldest daughter, who was five at the time, was struggling with reading. I asked every expert, you know, what do I do? They said there was nothing for parents. I thought, gosh, you know, if I have this problem, probably other people are concerned about it too. What does that mean? There's nothing for parents, meaning there was no resources? At the time that they, that nothing they trusted. So at the time they felt like there was a lot of kind of edutainment, entertainment. Was this like Kumon time? This is Kumon time. So you could do Kumon if you wanted to send your child Mm -hmm. to a tutor which is, you know, mm-hmm. depending on the family, that could be exactly the right thing. For our family, it wasn't because they didn't want to go. And I didn't want to have something, I didn't want to have negative educational experiences. I wanted my kids to feel very excited about learning. And they do today. We were just talking, you know, over the last couple of weeks, over the summer, my middle daughter just read 13 books in two weeks, you know, and so they love wow. learning, they love reading, they love all of these things. And so for me, I wanted it to build the positive habits of learning, positive habits around math and around reading. So so at the time, yes, people said there was nothing they trusted. And I thought, gosh, could you actually solve a problem for society and help parents at the same time kind of do good and do well by building a company? And so that was the origin story of Homer. Take me back. This is what, 15 years ago? This was 2013. Okay. So this, this is eight years ago. Yeah. So, okay. But so it's still like, you're still on the brink of a lot of development in terms of using a digital platform, right? This was first year of the iPad. Right. Exactly. Okay. Was this something that you used any of your NASA skills with? (laughs) That's a great question. Like, how did you even, how did you even purport to start like a digital space for this. Yeah, where, yeah. Where it didn't, none of it made sense there. Really, it didn't. And in some ways, it's probably good that it didn't make sense. If I had too much information, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. But I just started, you know, I used some of my own money and I just said, look, you know, I'm going to just get as far as I can on my own. I'll bootstrap this. And mm-hmm. um, I had a couple of friends that were in UX and engineers. So I got their help. And for me, the design element was really important. So I spent a lot of time on the design and the pedagogy and the content. And we just started with a very simple, you know, prototype and raised a series A round of funding. And then we ended up, we've added math lately. So we moved from just reading to math. And uh, along the way, we now have also physical kits, toys that supplement the, mm-hmm. the reading and the math. And we're moving into areas such as social emotional learning, really helping kids deal with feelings and executive functioning skills. So as we've grown over the years, we've added, we started digital. We've since there added physical toys that supplement the learning, and then we're adding classes as well. So we're starting to add classes and activities for kids. So my view, Sarah, is, look, I think parenting is so complicated right now. It's impossible to know for a parent what you should be doing and what you don't need to do. So my aspiration, my mission is to help parents simplify and really help them understand, you know, if you look at Instagram and you see, I like to give this example, you see somebody coloring in macaroni noodles, pink and red and purple, and you think, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I've got to buy macaroni noodles and then I've got to buy paint and then I have to paint them certain colors so my kids learn colors. Like, no, too much. It's too much. 
So like what actually are the simplest things you need to do that have the greatest impact for your child and for your relationship with your child? Parent burnout has never been higher. You probably know this. Like the motherly article said 93%, I think, of parents are now saying that they're completely burned out. And it's not just COVID. Right, right, right. Well, okay, so let's talk about that. When you first introduced this, you know, like you said, it was the introduction of the iPad. But as far as smartphones go and Instagram and the ridiculous, crazy amount of screen time that we all have. And I think for me as a parent, one of my challenges is that there's so much I have to do during a day. Forget about even work or anything else. It's like the coordination of having be the coordination of being alive in the world today, I find really exhausting. But add add in a couple of kids, you know what I mean? And it's like the admin never not doing some sort of admin. Yes. But if you have young kids and they are likening the phone to, oh, that's where I could get on and play a game or whatever. If I'm looking at my phone and I'm, you know, organizing a play date, I'm trying to order something for the house. I am responding to someone about work. I am doing X, Y, or Z, which is my right, by the way. But like, you know, for the last year and a half, it's like, you're just like under the thumb of these like small dictators. Yes, And they're like, well, you're on the phone, you know, exactly. and I'm like, that's not the same thing, you know? Yes. So what's your philosophy on screen time? Because obviously it's not all equal. Yeah. We know this. Yeah. My my son, Theo, like he'll do, he'll always be like, no, it's a learning game. Yes. You know, that's his thing. Like yeah. he'll always try and say, but how do you, how do you create kind of parameters for that? You know, it, gosh, it's been a battle also for my girls, you know, from, forever. And so look, we had a few rules. So one was around content. I really believe in common sense media's reviews, we would get into battles on on is this appropriate or not appropriate. And so I finally said, common sense media is going to be the arbiter of what's appropriate and not. So look on it yep. and tell me, mm-hmm. do they say that this is age appropriate? So I needed to extract myself from that. And so you're on the board of common sense media. I am too, I'm right? on the advisory board. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. And so, yes. So I said, look at them for content. The second thing we did is we created some spaces, which we still have to today, which the phones can never be at. So the phones- The dinner table? Never around food. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Never Mm -hmm. around food. And even if like we're cooking together or talking, I don't want the, the phone there. And so that is kind of the big sacred place that we say there's never a phone allowed in a meal or an iPad or anything around eating. Because for us, at least with our kids from a young age, we wanted dinner time to be together, even if it was a total hot mess. The other thing we've done over time is we've just set certain limits, you know, and we've said, you know, you can have screen time, you know, we want to make sure it's quality screen time, we look at what it is, we monitor it. And then we just set some limits, we set the Apple limits and screen time so that it like locks them out essentially after a certain amount of time. Yeah. I really need to redo that whole thing. I had a guy out, you know, basically because the thing is for a lot of people listening to the introduction of devices and the introduction of computers came a lot earlier than intended because I would have never given my five-year-old a laptop, but all of a sudden all of his school was on that, you know? And then, so it's like, it is a slippery slope between getting onto his you know, virtual classroom and then trying to get into whatever game he's excited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the other kind of curious thing is that that's their socialization time. So you're not seeing people in real life. And for boys, especially 
they want to play in these rooms, you yes. know, like with yeah. other kids yeah. while they're playing. Yeah, multiplayer What do you games, think about yeah. that? Do you think that that's... I think it's hard to avoid, number one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I think it is really hard to avoid. And there's obviously a lot of discussion these days around social media, around pornography, you know, as kids get older, you know, there's, you know, your, your kids are too young for this now, but as they get older, those are big issues for parents. How do you really monitor that content? You know, so, you know, I think that that's a, on text messages and otherwise, you know, that's a big, scary kind of nut for many parents. Right. But I think Stephanie, one of the things that is really scary is like, so actually, yes, ostensibly you think that my kids are too young, but they're not because the problem is, is they're in these rooms playing these games where it's just, it's bizarre. And maybe it's like a dog whistle and I'm too old and I can't understand it. (laughs) But you know, they're all doing this weird stuff. And then the thing you have to be fearful of is that the people that they're trying to play with are not only like, if they're not trying to like hack into your system to take the parents' credit cards, then they're trying to befriend your child, you know, and saying that they're Sam, who's seven, but really it's like Gary, who's 45 and a pervert and who knows, you know, know. and it's like, how am I meant to manage if we're all in these two parent working homes for the most part now, who is overseeing Gary from trying to infiltrate my son's game to do some sort of bad business? I, I agree. It's, it's a huge challenge. That's why we're all burnt out because it's like... Well, and it's just going to get worse. Obviously, you've read Facebook is, you know, making a big bet on the metaverse, you know, and so the future that people are imagining is one that is like a ready player one future. Now that future is not going to be probably, you know, your kids will be older and gone at that point, but maybe not, right? And so... Like you our, mean gone from the metaverse? Gone from the metaverse, or at least gone from the, the, the house verse, exactly. Well, what if the metaverse is the only thing that's still standing, right? Because our well, actual, is, I mean, this is the problem. Is the problem. It's problem. like, it's so wild. How could you not be burnt out? I know. Well, and also moms are taking on the disproportionate amount of the admin of the family, right? While working. You know, and, and I think, you know, my, Sarah, one of my passion projects is this effort called Growing Good. We're just kind of kicking it off where just really trying to have conversations with moms around parent burnout and are there ways we can together think about simplifying? Because the truth is the more burned out you are, the more you can't be available for your kids, right? Like you're completely distracted, exhausted, you know, and it's hard to have connections with them. And so it starts to kind of get into that spiral as well. You know, you're adding more pressure on yourself. You're more disconnected. You're more tired. You're needing some sort of escape. And so we've got to figure out a way to kind of break that cycle together and really reset expectations around perfectionism. I think that's the core And a lot of this is we're just, we're assuming as moms, we can, you know, be the perfect chef, have the perfect house for entertaining, have the perfect kids, have the, you know, perfect job and enjoy our husbands or our partners, you know, still, you know what I mean? Totally. And they're like just scraping us off the floor at this point, you know? Of course. And that's so much of obviously, you know, what the podcast is all about and what we talk about. But it's funny because Growing Good is the organization, is that what you said? It's just sort of my own passion project. Yeah. It's just an Instagram site now. Yeah. But the truth is when you talk about how we can work together, because there is so much of that comparative stuff going on, right? That I'm sure that you see, you know, as an education advisor, but also 
as a human woman. Yeah. And it's funny because earlier you were like, you know, if you're on Instagram and you see the mom who has colored the macaronis, half of them are yellow and half of them are blue. I'm already like, I've tuned out because I'm like, oh my God, not only did you have to color the macaronis, yeah, exactly. but then you had to film yourself doing these macaronis. Yeah, exactly. So let's be real. Exactly. Behind the scenes, is there any time for you to be showing your children how those are applicable to learning their math, yeah. you know, skills? Yeah. Not really. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, but we, we adopt this mindset to your point that we have to kind of take on all of these responsibilities. Like a little bit of it's FOMO, you know that, right? Like if I'm not, if I'm not, my kid doesn't know their colors by the time school starts, they're not going to be confident. Well, no, that's not true. It's a lot of comparison, right? And so the moment you get, it's a rabbit hole once you go down that, that trap. So how do we give parents the freedom to say no, you know, and how do we give them the freedom to, you know, make choices that are much simpler, you know, for themselves and their family? Or even like if you pull out even further, because I'm sure that you meet with families who, you know, again, they're just trying to ease the track of their kids and and really ultimately trying to set them up for success. Really, well, if we pull back further, what does success look like? Yeah. Because if we think, oh, well, it means they get into a good school mm-hmm. and then they get a good job and they, mm-hmm. you know, then they're financially secure. But Also, you know, I think that that's the interesting thing about parenting is that you learn that each child has an affinity and a special talent for certain things that may not be either in line with your view of what you had hoped that they would do for a successful life, right? Quote unquote successful life. So how do we kind of redefine that? Because it's like we're all racing really against the clock to this finish line or this target, but ultimately... We know that it keeps moving and yeah. it keeps changing. And admittedly, I didn't even really know about the metaverse. And I hear you talking <laughs> about other things, but I'm just like, shit, now the metaverse, like, what's that? I've got to you learn can, about you that. Can, like, you can take, but you can table that for a while. <laughs> I don't even know that, like, my kids are in the metaverse. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then you look at people, honestly, Stephanie, like you, who has found success. And you found it because you didn't have people pointing you in the direction. Mm-hmm. And so it's really antithetical to everything that we're talking about, yeah. which is that we want to perfectly navigate and yeah. control every move that our kids make, right? Yeah. Like they've got to be like reading like this by this point. They have to be able to do X, Or y, even and Z their relationships point. too. We're like all in their business, totally. their relationships. And one of the things I, I shared with my team is I said, look, I don't see my job as making my kids happy at all. Mm-hmm. I see my job as helping them. They're going to experience life's emotions, right? Joy, fear, grief, jealousy. And my job is to sit by their side, know that they've got someone to come to and know that they can kind of get through those emotions, but they're part of the human condition is to have those emotions. And the moment we don't, we try to not have them feel it, right? Meaning I'm jealous because so-and-so is having somebody else over for a play date or so-and-so didn't right. invite so me all, to the l- birthday oh, let party. Let me call someone. Yes. Exactly. The yes, moment yes. I start calling parents and I'm like, you didn't invite Anya to the birthday party. She's upset. Like, I'm not letting her experience what she needs to experience, you know, as a human. And it's interesting that some a bunch of college presidents now are saying up to 30 to 40% of their freshman class have mental health issues. Wow. And so I think that is not the kids, that is the parents. And so the question is, 
how are we parenting? How do we need to think about parenting differently to give ourselves a break, you know, Mm -hmm. and take some pressure off and allow kids to experience things in the way that they will evolve as humans. You know, they may or may not get into the great school. They're going to figure it out. They're going to be okay. Yeah, that race to this end that keeps moving is a huge trap for all of us. I mean, I'm going through it right now. I have a daughter applying to college. So I'm in it. I'm in that finish line, right? Where you say, oh, we've worked so hard to get her to this Mm -hmm. place. She must be going to a great school right now. Well, look, the truth is, who knows? You know, the the odds are that she won't get into her top choice and she's going to have to struggle with that experience. Right. Or she will get into her top choice, but then what, right? Like, so we're living in such an uncertain time. So it doesn't have the kind of safety that it once did where there were guarantees. There's nothing like that. You know, we're watching the pendulum swing in Mm. so many different ways, you know, where we go, where like all of a sudden now everything is inappropriate to say. And and we are trying to be so careful about everything. But what you just shared with me about the percentage of mental health issues, and then really if we pull back and you said it's really not the kids, right? It's it's the parents. Mm -hmm. So we're going from having been raised with a relatively hands-off approach. Yeah. And for whatever reason, we've overcorrected to doing everything to the detriment probably. Yeah. Do you think that it'll go back where we will possibly just wash our hands a little bit, you know, in terms of our responsibility? I think the way forward is collectively what you're doing with your podcast, what I'm trying to do with Growing Good. We all need to redefine parenting, you know, and I think we have to start, you know, you're an incredible role model, right? You have to kind of come out and say, look, these are a bunch of things I don't do, you know, and, you know, I don't have to get it all right. You know, and I think there have to be enough people such as yourself and others that say, I'm going to try and get 30 or 40% of it right, you know, and I'm going to let a bunch of stuff go. And the more people see that, I think that gives permission. I think we need so many parents need permission to let go and they need to know where to let go. And so I think we have to kind of help collectively figure that out. You know, there's tons of research about what matters and doesn't matter. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And so part of it also- Wait, what what matters? Please tell us. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, right. Exactly. It's. I can tell you from a learning standpoint, right? You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm steeped in it. But what I know about learning, most parents also don't know, right? They don't know what- Many parents think that they have to completely educate their kids before kindergarten. Other parents think they should do nothing, right? It is actually somewhere in the middle. And, and really, how do we collectively share whatever wisdom we have about where, where you can edit and what you should keep? Also, the other thing, Sarah, and I'm sure you know this with your children, but it turns out like, now I see because I've got kids that are about to leave, you know, I mm-hmm. see these ways in which we should be thinking about things differently. For example, at this phase in my parenting, I want my kids to want to come home. Right. And I didn't realize when they were little that actually, actually, what I really should have been spending time on was making sure I was creating the environment and conditions that they that they want to come home to because very soon they're going to not need to come home. Right. Is that is that why you color coordinated the bookshelf? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Just to kind of give them something kind of calming. Exactly. No, but Stephanie, you're not like I mean, my husband always says that too. It's like ultimately it's like you want to be able to have a home that they want to return to. You want to be it's very um the giving tree, but you know, you want to be able to 
offer things, yeah. you know, it's like you have, you're depleted, right? Yes. Like, and you've given every bit of your life and then you're just like, please, sir, come back and see right. me sometimes, exactly. you know? And it's not like your life has gone to hell and you can just make them a nice meal. It's like you want them to be able to like bring their friend home exactly. and have a great time. So yeah. then you're, have to open an, a and b Yeah, but that's a great problem to have, right? I mean, that's a great problem to have because 60% of young adults see their parents or talk to them maybe once a month, right? And What? Yeah. I feel like I'm getting guilted a lot more by my parents then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's huge. Estrangement in America between, you know, young adults and their adult parents, you know, that is, that is a real thing. You know, it's not a happy place for many people to go back and visit, you know. And so I think that part of the the editing, part of the reframing of parenting is how do we think about what matters in the context of what you started with? Like, what is success? No, it's not college, right? The success is having a relationship that they want to be part of forever, right? Mm -hmm. And that there's something special about that relationship. I like to say my middle daughter loves to be rubbed. You know, so she loves it when I lie in bed with her and I rub her arm and she's loved that since mm -hmm. she was a baby. I don't have to do anything for her, but give her some time and rub her arm. And so you have to figure that out for each of them, like what is their thing? But mm -hmm. for each of them, they do have a thing. And for me, it's all about just repeating that and creating the space for whatever that one thing is. You don't have to do a lot of things. It's just picking one or two special things, a tradition, a way of connecting with them. And then doing that repeatedly until that becomes really their memory. So when they, when you ask them, like when I ask my 17-year-old, what do you remember about being at home? She, you know, she'll tell me that she remembers, you know, that I would lay in bed with her and rub her arm every night, you know, and talk to her. And so it's not the big things, meaning it wasn't the yeah, sports no, class so or it wasn't anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't the things that actually stressed me out, <laughs> you know? That's funny. Yeah. It's, well, obviously she sounds like the, it's like that tactile impression. Yeah. And it's funny because I have a memory. My, my mom was not, neither my parents are like super tactile or they're both loving, but they just weren't that way. Mm -hmm. And I have a memory of an aunt who I, I think it was an aunt. I mean, it's very possibly a stranger that came in and did this, but it like has left such an impression but she came in and she like rubbed my head going to sleep. Mm. It was like during a sleepover. And I still remember, I'm always like, who was that woman? Right. You know, like one mystical woman yeah. who like rubbed my eyes going to sleep. I love that. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I mean, that's something probably to dig deeper into in therapy for right? me. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, as exactly. I wonder about that. But what's been a through line for you? Is it about retaining our own sense of self and our own sense of identity so that, you know, it's like if you give yourself over too much to your kids and then when they leave, there's this inherent sense of guilt 100%. on them, right? That when they call back, when they call, yes. it's like you don't have anything going on. 100%. And maybe then also just like the guy or or woman, you know, nobody wants to date somebody who's like yes. not interesting exactly. or has things exactly. going on. Do your kids not want to date you anymore? Yeah. Because like you're just kind of don't have anything for yourself? Like what's yeah. the through line been for you aside from, you know, hopefully having enough money to like have a nice house and yeah. take them on a vacation sometime yeah. that will make them want to hang out with you? I mean, I got, yeah, it's a great question. I definitely didn't get it right many times, meaning I was really um, trying to do everything and 
lots of health issues for me. I ended up with an autoimmune disorder and I just Mm -hmm. was completely fried. And we were really lucky, you know, when I was at work, we were able to have someone in our house to look after them when I was away. And my husband traveled four days a week, but I just, I, I let it get too far. You know, I let myself get way too burned out to where there was nothing left of me. And when I was with them, I just didn't feel like I could easily even be present. Having said that, I feel like to the question with the through line, part of it for me has been for me, my own evolution as a mom and realizing about the need to let go of the perfectionism you know, the need to have my own identity, as my mom said, you know, make sure like you own your life. And so I've always, when I couldn't show up for anything after school, you know, or the dance or whatever it might have been that the punch party at class, I've always said, look, I'll do my best to get there. Everything I'll try. But I I run a company as well. And one day I think you might be excited about something like that. You don't have to have that be your choice, but you might get excited about that. And so I think seeing me in my relationship with my husband as independent individuals has been huge as to what you said. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, you know, if it's a hub and spoke, you know, the, the hub has to be you. It has to be you as a person and your own confidence in yourself. Um, rather than everything being around your children. They are a part of that. Yeah, that's so true. And I love that. I would ask you about how you created your own value system or if there were ever times when you felt like you were crushing it in the parenting game or crushing it at work and the other was falling through the cracks. But it sounds like your your <laughs> autoimmune issues yeah, like exactly. told you that on your own. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, your body tells the story, right? You know, when it knows what's happening before you know what's happening. And it puts a big Mm -hmm. stop sign, you know, on things. We had had, unfortunately, um, a series of challenges. Andre's mom died. My husband's mom died in a car accident. And then my daughter um, was pulled out of school for medical issues. And then three months after that, I was diagnosed with ALS, which is terminal. I do not have it. Um, But for four months- you Were you misdiagnosed? I was- ALS doesn't have a definitive test that you can run. So it was a process uh-huh. of elimination. So it was the it was the governing thought at the time. Oh my God. But I had spent this summer, you know, writing letters to my children who were at camp saying, you know, you know, here are all the things I want you to know. And, you know, and but these moments, Sarah, have these, they're they're teaching moments for our lives, right? You know, and God willing, people don't have to go through that. But Anytime Mm -hmm. something like that happens, it teaches you, for me, it taught me, you know, which is sort of like, what are these values, you know, that we hold so true, you know, and some of them just have evolved with our family. But part of it is we, I know it's overused, the words gratitude, but we really are, you know, a very, I think we really place kind of that gratitude and that sense of connection together as a family as kind of a top priority for us. That must have been such a wild four-month ride to then crazy. learn that that was not what you were yeah. um, dealing Second with. Second chances, I can't even... yeah. I mean, it's amazing, like so these moments crazy. that you just say, well, that was really important to learn from, you know, and not just right. kind of get back into something that was crazy. Right, and it sounds like it was it was compounded with mm-hmm. three months other of, of yeah. other really hard 
times for your family. And I think this so. is all part of kind of what you're doing on your show. But, you know, you you realize you think life goes in this very linear way. Like you're just kind of moving and moving it's and so moving. So sadly does not. And it so no. does not. You know, there's a great no. book. I don't know if you've read Life in Transitions, but I highly recommend it to everyone. He's no. a beautiful writer and he talks a lot about the shape of your life. And everyone kind mm-hmm. of when they close their eyes, they imagine a shape you know, and it kind of tells you what's important about you. Some people are sort of more of a circle shape. Some have like a mountain, you know, some are, you know, a straight line, some, you know, it's like a logo or something like that. And so it's just kind of an interesting thing to meditate on and think about the shape of your life and like what that means. Yeah. Maybe like a yin yang. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First of all, Stephanie, just as an aside, because I wanted to ask you this at the beginning. So I'm going to edit it as though that I did because, you know, we're not perfect. And sometimes we forget. Hallelujah. Yeah. Let's talk about the notion of having it all that we're sold a lot as women. Is that something that you buy into? And if so, what did you think that would look like for you? I don't buy into having it all in the sense that everything's perfect, if that's the definition of having it all. Um, I've learned that personally um, through my own story where I did definitely struggle with perfectionism and the need to do everything right, be the perfect um, person at work and, and at home. For me, having it all has a totally different definition right now. It's really, do I have people in my life that I love and am I loved? Like that to me is ultimately when we talked about success and what is success is, do I have those two things in my life? And I can say resoundingly, yes, I have that in my life today between friends and family and my children and my husband and my dog and, you know, all the new people I've met now in Miami. And so to me, I do have it all if that is the definition of having it all. Well, it's your definition. It is my definition. So (laughs) there you go. So then it sounds like you do. It sounds like Homer is a great resource, but it sounds like a lot of what you, you know, are espousing the virtue of is really about identifying kind of core values for a family, Mm -hmm. right? And like, even though it sounds like a lot of pressure by saying that, you know, parents are meant to teach their kids what, like 80% of what they know. And I think one of those things that happens, you know, as you become a parent yourself is that you realize how fallible your own parents yeah. were, how little you still feel like you know about so much. Yeah. And bigger picture stuff, I feel confident that I can share mm-hmm. like a good amount of wisdom with the kids. And, yeah. and they know that we're still falling and learning all of the time and that that's something that hopefully we will continue to do for all of our lives. But it is funny too, the challenge of like, even my daughter who's in fourth grade, the other night, you know, we were going to something and she had homework and she was like, I just need to finish this really quickly. Can you help me? And I looked down and it was fractions. Mm -hmm. And like it's fourth grade fractions, yeah. right? Yes. This is so but common, by the way, Sarah. Yeah. I don't do this. Yes. And also made me think, is this a good use of her time too? Because I was like, <laughs> is she going to use this? And I felt almost a little bit embarrassed because I was like, I wasn't there during the lesson. Yeah. So I'm just going to go off of what yeah. I think this would be. Yeah. And to your point too, I was wary of the fact that I was like sort of doing it for her more so than I was helping her in any way, which of course is not ultimately going to be a help to her. But what are your kind of key takeaways you think for, you know, for parents, especially in the wild card event that is current life and, you know, the pandemic, what, what are your kind of key 
virtues at home that you think are really important when everything else feels a little out of control, yeah. just in terms of controlling what you can? I think take it easy on yourself, really and truly. Like I just think there are lots of supports out there. Homer is really good at helping little, little kids with reading and with math. There are a lot of other great supports out there. I think about to, to make sure I'm, it's clear about learning and its broadest context and the role of moms and, and, and parents. It's really about, there are, certainly learning is about skills and knowledge. You know, we can bring that to our children, but it's also about values and cause and effect and how to manage feelings and how to manage relationships. So I think we have to have a very broad definition of learning with our children. I like to think about it in those four ways, kind of skills, knowledge, um, values, and then feelings, you know, and how we think about um, managing our feelings. But I think that we play a role in all of those. You know, I think skills and knowledge, yes, schools are going to be able to take on, you know, the lion's share unless you're homeschooling of that for a parent. But there are things you can do to help your child in those early years, um, especially as the brain is so open to learning. And there, and all, most of it, all of it can be done through play. You know, play is the natural format for children to learn. And it's the, their most important work is to play. And so open-ended play with great toys um, is also a, just a fantastic thing to provide your children. So it doesn't always have to be hard. That's what I'd say. We mm -hmm. like to think sometimes that if we're going to do it, it has to be hard. And I want to challenge us all to think about what are the actually, what's the opposite? Like, what are the easy ways I can help them with something? What are the easy, simple ways I can do this? It comes back to the macaroni noodles. So again, just like really reframing these things and thinking about how do we do it in the simplest way possible? Right. Something that I'm taking away from this conversation, which is about really modeling. Mm -hmm. And that's why I want to ask you this because, you know, you talk about you being sort of focused on perfectionism and trying to catch yourself, but also realizing that, you know, the kids who have these successful takeaways are modeling behaviors versus people who are being told one thing and witnessing something totally different. But, you know, we're often really congratulatory to our kids mm -hmm. about really the smallest mm -hmm. I mean, and look, this is actually another question because some people say that we over-congratulate and yeah. <laughs> we kind of decorate everybody with ribbons and with trophies, even when they didn't win. Right. But what about you yeah. now, you know, as you're sort of reshaping your approach to things, like, are you, I'm sure pretty goal oriented, but do you take stock of the times where you feel like you have had wins? Like, do you celebrate your victories? Do you bring your family into that? Or what's your philosophy as far as that goes? Yeah, my philosophy for both my husband and I, we try and be really open with our kids about both the successes and the failures we have at work so that they can mm -hmm. see that you get through it, you know, and so my husband had something challenging at one point, and he was really open with them about how and it was really hard for them because they felt bad for him. You know, and they said, oh, you know, oh, Papa, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry you're going through this. And it was really important for them to have that moment. And then he moved through it and it was okay, right? And I've shared similar things with them as I was raising capital. And I was, you know, anytime you're trying to like, as you know, start a business and scale a business and think about, you know, how challenging those moments are and sharing that with the kids and then also mm -hmm. sharing the big successes. So we've always had that philosophy of not trying to hide that, you know, and really letting them see all of that. And my oldest daughter, who's now applying to college, said to me, I said, you know, how are you feeling about this whole EA decision? 
And she said, look, you know, it might not go my way, but I know that it's going to all be okay no matter what. I'll be disappointed. I'll be really crushed. I'll be sad. I'll cry. You know, she said, and I know it's going to be okay, that there will be a place for me. And so to me, like that was my work, you know, was letting them know that they could articulate. Yeah, that hurts. I didn't, I'm not saying don't feel that way. You're going to feel really disappointed if something doesn't work out for you, you know, and you, you know, it's going to work out in the end. No, I, I love that. And I think that that's a testament to obviously giving them a secure upbringing and making them feel that there is unconditional love regardless, right? So like you can have those ups and downs. And I think it's hard for a lot of parents too. I definitely grew up that way with, you know, my dad who probably didn't share any of the things that were ever kind of more challenges at work because he never wanted anyone else to feel burdened by anything. And he also sort of on a practical level was like, well, if you can't be helpful in any way, what's the point of then me stressing you out, you know, right. making anybody feel insecure in their in their own standing. And I, I do, I understand both right. philosophies, but I think that you have to have a level of maturity as a child to be able to do that, you know, where you don't feel like it's doomsday. Totally. You know, something's going totally. bad. Stephanie, you've been such a pleasure to talk to. Yeah. And I really Likewise. appreciate all of the insight that you have. And this is a wild time. And I feel like everybody should um, should follow along with Stephanie just because you have like a very peaceful approach to the whole thing. And it makes it feel like it's not, even though the metaverse is coming, like I feel like it's going to be okay somehow because <laughs> you said it's, it's going to be, be okay. okay. Um, exactly. You know, just wrapping things up, what would having okay. it all look like to you today? My kids wanting to come back, really and truly. Like, I think that's success is my kids wanting to feel like their home is still a really place after they go out and do all the great things they're going to do that they want to love that. Where can people find you and follow along? Yeah. So I have a growing good handle, um, which is the best place um, to support our our moms getting ourselves out of perfectionism. And then also learnwithhomer.com. We have great resources for parents. We have apps, we have toys that can really and help common sense media. I, I'm embarrassed to say it's like, common I had sense heard media of it, is amazing. But, but it wasn't amazing. until I was looking through information about you that I went on there and I was like, yeah. why am I not using this? When we do our Friday night yeah, movies, movies or whatever. games, TV shows. Yeah, exactly. And then you can just send your kids to there and just say like, what, do, what is Common Sense yes, Media saying? That's and a they really have to good idea. You. And I really like the sort of the collective call to action for people to acknowledge like nobody is doing this perfectly. Like we're all trying the best that we can. And so we have to really band together exactly. so that we can just eliminate some of the pressure. Get these little monkeys off our back. Exactly. Oh, well, thank you so much, Stephanie. I appreciate your time today. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Likewise. Having It All in Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah underscore Riff and the show at Having It All Podcast. See you next week.